Welcome to Eye on the Ball. This is Garrett Rands. I'm here with Pastor Tim Everett and a special guest, Dr. Tricia Scribner. We're going to talk about one of my favorite subjects today, which is creation. Uh, we've had a lot of people reach out that uh, have enjoyed our discussions, our past discussions on creation. And right. uh, so we've, we're going to have an extended conversation today. Um, you could call it creation. You could call it origins. And so can anybody explain to me the difference, either one of you, between the term origin versus creation? Is one more extensive than the other? I haven't really thought about the distinction between the two. Whenever I think of origins, it's how something began. So we're talking about the thing that began. What is the origin of that thing? So the the focus then when we talk about origins is the beginning of what? The beginning of the universe, the beginning of first life, the beginning of humans. So when we talk of origins, usually it refers to one of those three things. Um, And when we speak of creation, I sort of think of it from God's perspective and the creator, how he made those things. So both maybe two sides of the same coin. I don't know how. Yeah, I just thought of, you know, origin of the species, uh, Darwin. I wonder if, if that created the secular word for creationism, origin. I wonder if there's a science, if that's the science side of the faith creationism. Yes, and it certainly is a term Mm -hmm. used more among the scientific community when we Mm -hmm. think of origins. As Christians, we might might just say, how did humans begin? Or how did first life begin? Or how did the universe begin? If -hmm. we're Christian in our worldview, we would ask, how did God create? Mm -hmm. You know, so we might use that terminology. But the terminology of origins is usually couched within the context of the scientific community, I think. That answers my question well enough. If anyone out there knows a little bit more specific information about the difference between maybe origin and creation and where those words come into play, I welcome you to send us an email. Uh, you can send it to GarrettRands at Yahoo.com. Uh, Trisha, what's your email address? Trisha Speaks at Yahoo.com, which is T-R-I-C-I-A. Trisha Speaks at Yahoo.com. And then Tim, yours Tim, is? Tim Ray Everett at AIM, A-I-M.com. How old is that email address? It's got to be old. not quite as old as me. But <laughs> it's not an AOL, yeah, right. <laughs> but it's pretty old. Yeah, right. All right. Back so, when the Dead Sea was merely sick, I think is when I picked that. Yeah. <laughs> So, and, and we are recording in front of a live audience today for the first time ever, right? We've got a little bit of an audience here, and that's, uh, that's kind of nice. So, how did God do it? How did God create? We have these different viewpoints, even within the Christian community, of how he did it, the time frame that he did this in. So, can you speak, uh, Tricia, specifically about um, what the Bible says and, and what we know versus what we think? The Bible tells us several things, and and you have to almost back up from this and ask that this depends on how we, this impacts how we view the Bible, doesn't it? Is the first chapter, the second chapter, the third chapter, all the way through 11 and the rest of the Bible historically and scientifically accurate? Is the section called Genesis 1, 1 and 2, the creation narrative, is it... Um, literal in in terms of history and it doesn't mean it can't use figures of speech but the question would be is it historical or is it mythical now if it's historical can it use some metaphor and figurative language of course it it obviously does and several places in the scriptures do that claim seem to be claiming to be historical narrative when i who i believe wrote this is moses the um the first three chapters of Genesis, as is traditionally thought. 
And so those are the questions that are, that are raised by this. So my question for me is not merely what, which view is right, but what is within the realm of, of Christian options that hold to a high view of Scripture and maintain that? Is there just one view, or is there some wiggle room there in terms of whether it's an old earth or young earth? And where is the line, say, of, of orthodoxy? So for me, Garrett, the question is a little bit more broad because I can say, what is the correct view? And to be honest, I would have to tell you, I'm not absolutely sure. But there are some things I'm sure that aren't within the realm of possible acceptance and maintaining an orthodox view of origins of creation that are biblically grounded and scientifically informed that cannot be with uh, considered by the Christian to be orthodox. And maybe Brother Tim here can yeah. tell us. Well, Tim, so could you speak just for those of us okay. that aren't familiar with the term orthodox, what that means? What does the word orthodox mean and why is it important? Yeah, uh, orthodox is a conservative view of a tradition that's essential to that particular faith. So a little bit of difference between Catholic Orthodoxy, which would emphasize the traditions of their church, and Protestant Orthodoxy, which would emphasize the Bible and their interpretation of the Bible. Um, evangelical, you know, but but also there's, you know, the Apostles' Creed to me is a document that can draw from the, the Catholic tradition, the Protestant tradition, and satisfy most of the evangelical current state of things. So, you know, there's 12 statements in the Apostles' Creed that have to do with the Trinity and have to do with what we believe about the church and what we believe about Christ and his life and his death and burial and resurrection, ascension and return. So, you know, these are essentials to salvation. Um, we have a saying in our church, in the essentials, unity, and the non-essentials, liberty, but in all things, charity. Was, these would be the essentials of what we believe. And the question, back to creation then, is how important is the question how? You know, how, how did he create? Is that an essential? Or, you know, to me, the essential of who, you know, who, who created, that's an essential. This, um, why did God create? That's an essential. So, you know, how important is the how question? Um, does that fall into the essentials of orthodoxy of what we believe, or does that fall into the non-essentials where there'll be, you know, biblical Christians who love the Lord and who believe the Bible who may disagree on? So I think that what we have to distinguish here is not necessarily what makes a person a Christian or not. It's not going to be decided, as you say, by their belief on origins. There may be some beliefs about origins. For instance, if you believe and non-teleological, it's what's called non-teleological non evolution, that God had no purpose in creating, then we start touching on essential doctrines because that God mm -hmm. is maybe a process, what's called a process God, who's changing along with creation, doesn't have any idea about the future, and is actually enjoining himself and growing along with creation. Well, that's not even the right. theistic God, much less the Christian God. So then we're touching on essentials. But, but in the broader categories of what most Christians consider possibilities, you know, there are a wide range. The question I think we have to ask is not whether it's essential, because maybe these aren't essentials, but they bear on essential doctrines. Mm -hmm. What is the impact of your view about origins right. on your understanding of God? It should be the other way around. We should be informed by our understanding of God, and that God defines 
the options for origins. Mm -hmm. And we go by the Orthodox Christian faith that arose from the apostles, is recorded in the scriptures. We can trace these essential doctrines through even the medieval times mm -hmm. into contemporary times that we've still held on to. And so what are consistent with those? So the issue for me is not whether, say, a, a young earth creationist, old earth creationist, or theistic evolution evolutionists can be a Christian and believe those things, but whether they can be consistent mm -hmm. in their understanding of the Orthodox Christian faith and also hold to this belief about origins. And I think there are some options within a, a realm of, of options for Christians uh, that may be more than young earth in terms of view, which is, of course, how I was raised and still lean, but, but uh, are still creationist in view, and we'll have to make that distinction, and in those that embrace the neo-Darwinian view of evolution. Or, and we can explain neo-Darwinian just means that it's Darwin's view of common ancestry, natural selection acting on uh, mutations to bring about all living beings from a first cell all the way to humans. And the neo-Darwinian view adds in the information we've gotten about genetics, so acting on random genetic mutations. And that's come into the 20th century. So many Christians hold to this theistic evolution. And what I hear them say, Tim, is just whenever I ask them, how do you think it happened? They just say, oh, I think God used evolution. And they they haven't examined that statement mm -hmm. right. at all. And this tends to be characteristic. I don't mean to, to have a blanket statement here, but this does tend to be characteristic of those that are heavy in science, medical professionals, others that um, spend their time studying whatever their science, their particular science is, that is not evolutionary. And so I, I say that because I know several people that are theistic evolutionists that do believe that. God just used evolution, and that's this is this is the how. This is the answer. Um, and even when you present information that's contrary to what they believe, they tend to dismiss it. And so it it becomes a difficult conversation for those of us that are. And in my case, I'm not even sure. I, I was definitely raised as a young Earth belief. I had that young Earth belief, and and now I'm not certain that anybody's timeline is accurate. And that's really where I'm at. Is, is I think you know possibly that the Earth is is likely older than six thousand years, but certainly not as old as six billion years, and uh, or, or whatever the the evolutionary belief is. I, I lose track of the numbers. They they tend to change that often. I guess the question that I have is why is if this isn't essential, why does a Christian need to know this? Why is why is this question important? Let me give you three reasons. I'm going to jump right in here. What we believe about origins tells us what we think humans are. What, are, what is a human, okay? It gives us information about who we think God is and what kind of God we're talking about. And the third thing is it impacts our understanding of the trustworthiness of Scripture. Those are three reasons, what we believe humans are, what we believe, who we believe God is, and what is Scripture, the nature of Scripture and trustworthiness. So we know that in Genesis 127 that it says God created man in his own image. So here we're really focusing on the origin of humans. That's what I wanted to focus on today because it's just such a broad subject we need to deal with 
other aspects in other podcasts, and I look forward to doing that. But are we as humans created distinctly and uniquely as God's image bearers? And if we are, and we take that to mean other, among other things, that humans have distinct capacities, such as uh, the intellect and the ability to seek and know God, enter into a relationship with Him in a way that no other kind of creature can, then that's significant. We have the ability to reflect on our own selves. We have the ability to reflect on our own thoughts, as well as the moral awareness of humans that we don't see in any other creature. I mean, you won't see a cat getting moral angst over eating a baby mouse. You know, you just don't see that. So there's something we believe as Christians is distinct about humans, and that is because we are created uniquely as image bearers. And so this is extremely important because if we're all related uh, from a single cell or a group of cells, then that tells us something about um, who we think God God is, what kind of God and what kind of humans, what kind of thing a human is. How God created us also tells us something not only about what humans are, but about who he is. Did he, did he start things, the ball rolling, like planned evolutionists believe? And he started and instantiated the initial conditions with all of the elementary particles. And then he went to an eternal lunch break. Well, that's, that's really not even the theistic God, is it? I mean, if natural law operates independently sort of of his intentional, direct, sustaining supervision moment by moment, then we're not even talking about the God of Christianity. You see how this becomes extremely important. This makes God the same way that pagan gods would be, almost mischievous in nature. And so that's one of the, the major distinctions between the holy God that we know yeah. as opposed to all the pagan gods. That difference being that if you look at any of those pagan gods, they all had a selfish characteristic. They were all self-serving. They were all mischievous. They all used humans as entertainment. Yeah. Whereas the holy God that we know is completely selfless now, in, if you, in terms of how he views us. Yes. And now, if you were to sit down with Dr. Francis Collins, who headed up the Human Genome Project, and he's a Christian, I believe by his testimony that he gives a Christian testimony and loves the Lord. Many of these theistic evolutionists do what Dennis Lemro says, uh, I love Jesus and I believe in evolution. So you, if you were to sit down with them, I'm sure they would be quite hurt to think that you thought that about, about them. But, but my appeal to them is that we just have to consider these consequences and think through this aspect of it. You're right. Theistic evolution views appeal to scientists. And one reason is they see it as a way to reconcile their faith which most Christians still seem to think of as blind faith. It's a carryover from the 20th century where we, we left the public square and we entered into an emotional faith. It's blind faith. I feel it. The Holy Spirit's in me. Well, what happens when you don't feel it anymore? So what, 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 is, what, what makes it true? Is it your feelings? So these people believe that theistic evolution is a way to reconcile and make the Christian faith reasonable. And, and to reconcile it with what they believe is reason, the best evidence of reason being science. So many scientists do hold to theistic evolution for that reason, but there are theologians who do as well. 
Um, and so we have to ask these questions of them and ask them to parse it out. This is not uh, intended as an offense toward the genuineness of the Christian faith. Amen. But could it be a, a question as to their consistency in the Christian faith because they've not thought through maybe some of the theological and philosophical consequences because they are scientists. And uh, unfortunately, many scientists still believe or tend to that science is basically our only source of real truth. And that's scientism. And we can break that down because science has to be evaluated as true out from outside of science, not even from within it. To even do science, you have to do philosophy first. Yeah. So we can, we can question these assumptions on their part without, you know, meaning the genuineness of their Christian faith. But I would like to engage them at this deeper level on why it doesn't make sense. That's a good point about, you know, we hear so much trust the science, but when a scientist speaks, he speaks philosophically because he's interpreting the data, and there's a lot of difference in how people interpret the data. Usually it's consistent with their paycheck, whoever's paying. Yeah, it's hard you know, for us for to the, get ourselves out of the way. Yeah. It, I mean, no matter who you are, it's hard to get yourself out of the way out and of look the at things of, objectively. Right. So We all come from a, a standpoint of having a specific pair of goggles that we have that we put on anytime we view any data. Right. And that's what makes it difficult uh, for all of us to be objective. Uh, Tricia, catch us up with catch our audience up with the differences between the the main views on on origin and on creation uh, from a a Christian standpoint, the three main views. Yes, I tell you what, it can be overwhelming. I did my dissertation on this and it just like took me forever and there was a zillion more things that could have been written that I couldn't even touch on and I still am an infant. In fact, I'm realizing more and more what I don't know and don't understand. So the main, if we were to just kind of generally group things, my understanding is that there's the young earth creation view, and most of us in the South, if we're 40 and above, are quite familiar with that view, that the earth is at least thousands of years old, not billions, okay? The universe is not 14.3 billion years, but we're talking about in terms of thousands, that uh, humans were created distinctly, not from any other precursor sort of humanoid type being, but, but created as a whole separate different kind of being and that the the flood was universal over the whole earth these are just some of the things that are important but one very important thing that i appreciate about young earthers is the belief in the literal fall that there was a man and a woman called adam and eve who actually are the progenitors of the human race with no precursors, no other population they were drawn from, uh, into which God just endowed a soul, but new whole creation of the kind of being that can have fellowship with God and that they fell in, in the beginning and as Genesis 1 and 2 and 3 uh, record, specifically Genesis 3. And that fall uh, brought about a curse. Now, uh, a curse over all of the world. Now, this is what young earth creationism holds. Now, old earth creationism believes and adheres to the geological timetable. So you'll see a lot of Christians who are scientists hold to this view because they hold to this 14.3 billion year old universe and that they interpret in Genesis that this term yom that we um, treat as interpret as day, uh, translate as day, can refer in the scriptures and does, in fact, they are right in the first three chapters, as something more than just a 24-hour day. Day sometimes refers to an era 
as in the day of. Day sometimes refers to daylight, as is uh, evening and morning uh, were the first day, or um, in the daytime would be during daylight hours. So they make this point, and there are several subviews of old earth creationism, whereas in young earth creation, it's a little bit more homogeneous, mm -hmm. but you could have the day age theory. The Reasons to Believe group, Dr. Hugh Ross, astrophysicist, believes in the day age. In other words, that the, word, the days represent vast eons of time. And then there are the gap theory, old earth creationists, where God created the world, but something went wrong. It, there was this brokenness and void, and there's a big gap of time between verses 1 and 2, and then he recreated the world in in 24-hour days. And then John Lennox presents a, another view that I find fascinating and may not uh, express correctly, but in general I think that he says that there are 24-hour days separated by vast amounts of time. So he created in 24-hour time periods, but there was a great vast amount of time between day one, one yeah, and two. And it's a new one for me, and I may mm. be misstating. And Dr. Well, and when you look at the first me. days, and this is this is something that we talked about on a, on the, a previous discussion on creation, the sun wasn't created, right? And and so how can we have a 24-hour period of time that is kind of controlled by the sun when the sun doesn't exist yet? Yes. And so that would that would lend to that argument for an old earth creationist in, in yes. these periods and of time. There are ways to handle that. There are ways that young earth creationists have responded. We need to understand that there are responses to all of these rebuttals uh, that are dealt with in the literature, and we need to go to that literature, and I don't remember all of them. But, for instance, it could be that the, de the sun was not visible, and so... Those are just some of the some of those things until the certain day in which we see that Moses, from a phenomenological, that is from a human standpoint, is writing from the man standing on Earth how how it would look, and so those things those variables impact how we in, interpret this. So those are the old Earth creation views. So now we have young Earth and old Earth, but notice the N word on both of those creation, because just like young earth, old earth creationists, despite young earth's disparagement of their view as unbiblical and, and failing to hold scripture in a high view, old earth creationists, all of them that I know, believe that Adam and Eve, humans are created distinctly, what's called de novo, as a new distinct creation in the image of God. They did not come from a, a population of, say, 10,000 in which God imbued into two of them uh, or endowed two of them with souls. It didn't happen that way. They're new creations. You see that phrase often, according to their kind, according in the to first their kind. You know, chapter. And, and we, I, I see something in that because that comports with this view known as essentialism comes out of Aristotle and Aquinas reiterates it that, that that we are not just individual objects floating around out there individual we fall into classes of kinds of things natural kinds of things and it may not be all the way down into the biological species categories but by the way I found some you know 25 definitions of species so what you mean by the word species varies even among scientists, right? So let's don't get tied up in that. But when we look at kindness in the scriptures and in the natural world by our own sight and senses, we see classes of things. Are there fuzzy borders on some of them? Maybe so. But for the vast majority, I can tell an aardvark from a frog if I knew what an aardvark looked like. But anyway, I can tell what these classes of kinds 
I see the distinctions between them. They're clear to the senses, and we uh, can operate in that that way of categorizing things because of the way human knowledge works, and it works that way for a reason. So knowing these kinds of things, older thing, young earth creationists really do have a lot in common. I think they have more in common to agree upon than to argue about, and that we really need to focus our energies on this view called theistic evolution, which I believe honestly in my gut after studying this that it is one of the most insidious views yeah. because it's invading our college campuses wheaton baylor christian colleges where mm -hmm. this is being taught that we all came from a single cell and by the way there are three there are far more than this but three main subheads that you could categorize categorize theistic evolutionists as they're not consistent in themselves they're not a homogeneous group either and so you have these differing views on how god created did he know what was going to happen next or like gregory board theistic evolutionist and he had to wait until it happened because it it's not reality and not knowable until it happens so you have open theism coming in and and holding some of these theistic evolutionist views or did this god as i say was it planned creation where he front-loaded everything and then it just operated on its own natural mechanism and God did it or directed evolution which is a big category that includes evolutionists who are Christians who say well God intervened at some point that could be at first life by causing first life to occur it didn't arise naturally but some Christian evolutionists believe that that jump from chemical to biology happened naturally and then the directed evolutionists may believe, no, well, God intervened behind the scenes. They won't let it be something that you could see because then no longer is, is it evolution and keeping that evolution motif. It becomes a kind of a creationist intervention because they have to hold on to this notion that, that everything operates by nature and that God's magnificence is shown more beautifully that way. So did he intervene at some point directly, but behind the scenes? And so he's done a very good job, this God of obscuring his intervention in natural history while we can see his action in human history. Or, or did he intervene to imbue two or more human humanoid-like creatures with souls and take out of that population of prehumans a group or two hum two beings that he made human. And see, these are the variations of the theistic evolutionary view that we have to look at. But I believe this view leads people away from the Christian God and that you're going to find and that we do find many of these people actually end up uh, becoming agnostics is is a road to agnosticism where you're no longer sure whether you can know there's a God and to actual abandonment of the faith. And that's one of the, you know, scripture is divisive. By nature, it is divisive. So when we, we talk about this group that, that holds to this view of theistic evolution, is there a, a power, a force that's working in that and, and using that to separate out uh, a belief that the Bible is true. And I think that there is, and I, I've seen this with my own eyes and, and family members. They start with this idea that evolution is real because we have all of the science that backs it up. And this is what they're taught all the way through grade school and high school and college and graduate school. They reconcile their childhood beliefs from church with that science. And what it does, I believe just exactly like you, you said, it, it creates 
within you a doubt that shouldn't be there. Because there are answers within the scientific community of those that believe in young earth creationism and old earth creationism. They have science too. But the traditional secular science has thrown out all of that data because it doesn't blend with their view of evolution. And so we have these two scientific worlds that exist that both have data, that are both valid, and they're in conflict with each other. And the difference is origin. Why is this important? And when we analyze the story that we have in Genesis that God gave to us about why he created and the, the, the way he went about creation, it answers so many of these questions. If you discount that and you throw it away, then it makes it very easy to be a theistic evolutionist. But if, you, if you're holding on to that as, as part of truth, then for me, it becomes very difficult to believe in evolution at all. And I have other issues, and you mentioned some of them. One of, one of them is in successive generations, any given species loses DNA information. So how is it that we, what, did we reach a peak at some point? I mean, we, we, we all started as nothing, and then through mutations we gained information in our DNA, and then at some point we reached a peak, and now we're going the other direction. We have no scientific evidence of that, and that's the only way that you could ever explain it where evolution would even be a possibility in terms of real science. However, if we look at things from the standpoint in the scientific community and we, we take in all the data, the data that we have, adaptations that are real, that are believed by both evolutionist and creationist. And we take all of it and we put it together. What comes out, in my opinion, if you're a Christian and, and you believe the Bible to be true, is going to be one of these two views. Now, that's my opinion. One of these two views on creationism and not evolution, where evolution is not real. Is that accepted within the theologian community, that there are two acceptable views in, in order to uh, be orthodox, what you would consider orthodox, or is theistic evolution part of that? More and more, theistic evolution is being couched in ways to make it, make it possible to integrate it into orthodoxy. If you look at BioLogos, which is the flagship organization for theistic evolution, and you look at the Harzmas, they are Reformed Christians, so they, in, they lean toward the Reformed view and believe that theistic evolution can be reconciled with that. So what I'm, what I'm saying here is that more and more are theologians and Christians who are scientists seeking ways to show that evolution is indeed compatible with Orthodox Christian faith. And they don't make some of the distinctions that I make. That's why I wrote a dissertation on some of the philosophical concerns. Even uh, before going to the Bible, it, I believe theistic evolution damages the high view of Scripture, that Scripture is errant, infallible, that it is speaking truth on matters of history and science when it speaks to those matters. It's not a scientific textbook or a historical one. But when it speaks to historical matters, and scientific matters, those things that the scripture says are inerrant. They're finding ways though, as theistic evolutionists, to say, yeah, but if you interpret it this way. And that's why coming back to the International Council on Biblical Inerrancy, the Chicago um, 
uh, statement on biblical inerrancy. These, some of these foundational contemporary documents that are drawn from the older creeds, or, or at least compatible with them, uh, that reiterate in more specific terms what we mean by inerrancy are important to the Christian faith because there's such an assault by biologos, um, biologos scientists as well as theologians to say, no, this is part of the Orthodox Christian faith. And it's being increasingly accepted. And the reason why is because it is a, evolution is assumed as true because of scientism in our country. And therefore, everything else has to somehow fit. And theistic evolution is a way to make the two fit, ostensibly. I believe that it can't. And that's why I spent so much time dealing with the philosophical problems with it. But theologically, and Brother Tim may wish to speak to this, I believe that theistic evolution dismantles this view of the what we mean by verbal plenary inspiration of Scripture. Not only that, the whole Scripture, plenary, but down to the very word in the autographs, the original writings, which we can reconstruct with great accuracy so that every doctrine of the essential uh, essential doctrine of the Christian faith is preserved in, in our reconstruction. We can do that through textual criticism. And this is what must be, be preserved. And theistic evolutionists must dismantle that. They have to treat Genesis 1 and 2 narrative as, as mythical, mythological. Yes, uh, you know, evolution is one of the streams that come from really a, a teaching of Hegel. You know, 200 years ago, Hegel taught he called it self-actualization, basically that man is your own is is our own god, and some guys a few decades later called themselves young Hegelians and tried to interpret this according to their field of studies. For example, you know Marx did it from an economic standpoint, Freud from a psychological, and then you know then Darwin uh, from origins. And they taught the idea that a thesis leads to an antithesis that together forms a synthesis that becomes the next thesis. And so it's, you never arrive at truth. The dialectic. The dialectic, the dialectic model. So uh, these ideas in the 19th century became reality in the 20th century with communism and um, pop psychology and evolution. So I agree with everything that you're saying, but I've got a practical question to ask concerning all of it. When your child or grandchild comes home from the University of Babylon, and they've been propagandized and indoctrinated with evolution and all these other theories. And, and it doesn't just start in college now. It goes all the way back to junior high. How do you approach, as a, a conservative Christian, biblical-leaning Christian, how do you combat that? I mean, do you begin with the argument of young earth creationism against uh, theistic evolution. I'm, I'm wondering sometimes if sometimes our simplistic views, and there are good reasons to be a young earth the, uh, you know, but but sometimes we're simple with it and we don't really know how to articulate and understand it. So we start with that argument. We're concerned about our our grandchild's faith. You know, we don't know if they're a Christian or not, and um, and so many times we get into a political discussion about why they should be a Trump supporter or or maybe even a a philosophical discussion about why they should believe in six 24-hour days of creation. And do we stump our toe there with them? I mean, I tend to think we do. Uh, I don't personally, even though I lean toward young earth creationism, I am working 
uh, as part of the scholars community with Reasons to Believe, which is an old earth organization. One of the reasons I do is because I may lean that way, but I'm not positive. Dr. Geisler used to say, I'm a young earth creationist on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I am an old earth creationist on Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, mm-hmm. and on Sunday I rest. That's Dr. Norman <laughs> That's Geisler. Good. I've yeah, been like Geislerized yeah, uh, uh-huh. in his seminary. So uh, on the matter of those two, I think that I'm not going to spend a great deal of energy. What we want to do when our kids come home from college is not just do their laundry. As mothers, I'm encouraging mothers to begin to study these hard questions, get uncomfortable, and walk with the uncomfortableness. And the first thing we don't want to do is go, you believe what? Take a breath. You've heard it here today. The Lord's let you listen to this today to know how not to act, because believe me, I've done everything you shouldn't do as a mother. And so I I want to, I want a do-over. So this is my do-over in telling, telling moms and grandmoms, let's take a breath. Let's take back. Let's ask, how did, tell me about that. Tell me about that course. It sounds very interesting. And how did they come to that conclusion? Begin to raise questions. Now, the second thing we need to do I don't know that I have to decide whether I'm young earth creation or old earth creation. I'm not settled on that. I am settled on a creationist view. So I'm not going to fight my battles on the 24-hour days because I understand I'm not a, a scientist, but as a master's degree in science, I'm a person of science. I respect what science, what we can learn from science. And if I wasn't um, a scientific-minded person, I, I don't know... I believe Christianity is the best worldview comporting with the science, that science and Christianity are friends, uh, and that God is, uses many scientific findings to teach us many things about himself and the world around us. So what I encourage us to do is now let's dig in. Let's ask some of those questions and begin reading. We have resources, which I'm going to share. Reasons.org is an old earth organization. Listen, in the creationist camp, your student will not know this probably, that we have just as good, if not better, credentialed astrophysicists, biologists, molecular biologists, can I go on in the range of scientists, even physicists, who hold to the creationist position and who can go toe-to-toe with anybody in the evolutionary camp from the scientific vantage point. Read the book by uh, Moreland, J.P. Moreland and Meyer have put out about 2018 a whole 1,000-page book on theistic evolution. Now, I can't get through it. You won't be able to get through it, but you can use it as a great reference, can't you? Because you can look up stuff. What are the scientific arguments against theistic evolution? We've got scientists like Stephen Meyer and Hugh Ross, who's an astrophysicist, who can go toe-to-toe with these guys. It's not as though we're sitting over here in the blind faith camp with no evidence. No, there's ample evidence to bring to the table and have a reasonable discussion from the scientific view. Now, you and I, who are not scientists, can't grasp all of that, but it's important for your student to know that it's there. If they become a person of science or a scientist who goes deeper, they have and show them to their resources for a different way of looking at it that maintains the creationist position and a high view of scripture. And in terms of the Genesis 1 through 3 are not mythological. And they correct are me if I'm wrong, many of these scientists started out as traditional evolutionary scientists. And in the process of, of their schooling and their own research, they had issues with. They were converted by the evidence. They were converted by evidence that didn't, 
that didn't congeal with what they were being taught. Our students are not told that there's a, there are hundreds and hundreds of scientists who are questioning the Dar Darwinian model. Now, they may not all uh, say evolution isn't true, but they're questioning the Darwinian model, specifically what Darwin brought to the theory of evolution. It long preceded him, right? Mm -hmm. So he brought the mechanism of natural selection. That's what his contribution was. There are hundreds of scientists who question this model, it just doesn't work. For old earth creationists, one thing that we, if we were old earth creationists, would point to is the Cambrian explosion. And, and in the geological timetable, how body plans appear in total, whole, not in transitional forms. And this Cambrian explosion information, when I shared it in a Bible class, in a high school where I taught apologetics with atheists who were uh, foreign students who came to our school from China and shared with them that their scientists in China found these fossils and these fossils represent body plans that are whole. They're not in any form of transition and they're distinct from one another. Within a week, one of those Chinese students converted to the Christian faith because this is what stood in the way. This was the objection, the block that stood in the way of them believing because they thought, do I just have to jettison my intellect to become a Christian? Good news. No way. So you can go to ICR, Institute for Creation Research, if you want good research information on the Young Earth View. And then there's answers in Genesis. But ICR has a lot of good stuff. And then reasons.org, which is reasons to believe, the old Earth view. And then if you want to know the opposing view, you need to check out biologos.org. It's .org, not .com, .org. And you'll find people like the Harzbis, Dennis Lamoureux, uh, um, Carl Giberson, and a lot of those who support the theistic evolutionary view. And see what they think and how they're presenting it. And then go look at the rebuttals against that. There are plenty of articles by other scientists who are writing against them that are in language that I can almost understand. Okay, so I may not be able to debate my child with on this, but I can say I believe that it damages one's view of scripture and leads to agnosticism, but I probably wouldn't lead with that. I know that in my mind, but I want to hear what my student says, and I want to begin to reason with them about how they came to these conclusions about evolution. Because most often, if you watch Dr. Frank Turek di discussing with college students on college campuses, he's got lots of information on YouTube, crossexamined.org, lots of videos up there. And you'll see him talking with them about evolution. And, and they're raising all kinds of questions thinking it's a gotcha moment. And he's not a scientist. And he right away clarifies it. You can point them to Frank. Frank is, talks with college students all the time. So my point is we don't have to become physicists to answer the questions of our kids. I don't have to know all the answers, but I can know there are answers and where to find them and who the experts are and why that it should not be an assumption on their part that evolution is true because all the scientific evidence doesn't support it. Mm -hmm. And that way they can deal with the young earth, old earth mm -hmm. interpretation of scripture and deal with that as part of the discussion later. But let's deal with this, this big picture, which is mm -hmm. the difference between creationism and evolution Amen. first. That's very helpful. Yeah, and like one that. of the things I would add to that is, you know, too often we dismiss information that we don't like. We never want to encourage our children to dismiss what they're being taught until they've had a chance to read some opposing views. Often the people that are teaching them evolution have already dismissed 
that information. And so we want our children to not dismiss. We want our children to do their own research and especially including the Bible itself. Even though it's not a a history textbook, even though it's not a science textbook, there is history there, there is science there. We need to encourage our children to read scripture, to read from all of these websites that you've mentioned, pray about it. If you don't pray for your children and you don't encourage them to continue reading scripture through this process, then you're doing them a disservice. But I think it's also a disservice to them to get angry Let's don't worry about young earth versus old earth. Let's focus on creation as opposed to evolution, uh, even with a theistic view there. Mm -hmm. And so I I like that idea that we're going to approach our children with, hey, let's talk about it. Let's have these discussions. Let's read some books. Let's go to some websites. And let's look at all this information. And and absolutely. Let's being the critical piece because Mm -hmm. they think they're going to offend you Oh, mama believes it. She's a Bible thumper. She's back in the 50s, you know. She's going to say such and such. Surprise them and, and, and make it a journey that you go on together. You may actually change some of your conclusions. Don't mm-hmm. we want the evidence to convince us? Mm-hmm. And um, Christianity isn't against the evidence. God made the evidence. <laughs> Our God is the sovereign God who made the evidence. And there's ample witness to the creationist viewpoint. Now, I want—I have to say one caveat. Many young earth creationists, by virtue of my saying, let's don't argue about this old earth, young earth creation. I think it's important to study, but I think if, we've got, if we're dealing with someone who's dealing with ready to accept evolution, that that's a bigger problem, okay? And then we can have those in-house discussions mm-hmm. about the other and come to our own conclusions, or at least lean. I have to use leaning, because honestly, I don't think that I can say without a doubt that I can interpret scripture one way or the other regarding the usage of yom and and stand on that as a hill to die on. But young earth creationists, many of them will say that I'm compromising. You just need to understand that. that If you get into the young earth creationist discussions, and there are debates on Southern Evangelicals' website between young earth creationists and and, uh, old earth, you know, but Many of, and I'm speaking of them, even though I lean that way, because I'm, I don't see that. I don't see, I, I do see hermeneutical problems. In other words, I may disagree with Dr. Rice, Ross about the rationale for interpreting Yom in that way, but I don't consider him not to hold Scripture in high view, because the essential doctrines of the Christian faith are maintained in that interpretation, and, and I can see some leeway in some way that it, it's possible that they could be right. I'm going to get to heaven, and I may live on the same street as them. And, and I, I just don't think, but I do think, even though many of the theistic evolutionists are Christians, I, pro, I believe they're likely sincere believers. But I have to say, brother, I believe that you're inconsistent, misinformed about the, not only the consequences, but the rationale theologically as well as uh, philosophically for holding your belief. And again, as you say, many of them are scientists, so they are not many of them. There are some that are theologians, but but many of them are arguing from a scientific vantage point, so they really have to make the scripture work for them. Mm-hmm. So we as the theologians, uh, me as a philosopher, you as a theologian, we can engage them mm-hmm. on these issues and ask them to think them through and actually consider their scientific findings in light of, of scripture and what they believe about yeah. it as well. This is a interesting discussion, and I know we're going to have uh, a lot of pastors and others that are going to reach out and make some comments, and uh, and I welcome those. This discussion can go on for days and weeks and months and years. 
And that's part of the reason that I like studying creation. We're going to have to uh, end this episode here, and we're going to have part two. So stay tuned, and we'll get to that. Uh, Thank you for listening. Dr. Tricia Scribner, Pastor Tim Everett, thank you both for being here. We've got part two uh, coming up here in about another week or so. Thank you for listening.